stop it. everybody welcome to unacceptable today we have a special guest uh one of the prolific posters frequently suspended posters from twitter the society dude also here with ken hi ken how are you also in a society i too am in a society um what bottle of bleach are you on right now <laughs> me yeah uh number two okay is it helping uh yeah me me too i if you guys haven't heard there was this big trump thing where you told everyone <laughs> to drink bleach no 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 to be what? fair didn't he suggest injecting disinfectant into your, your oh was that what it was yeah yeah, yeah. okay he never okay. suggest how dare you you would I, never suggest that. Apparently, yeah. it breaks down your, your DNA's. If you did that into your, your bloodstream, it breaks down your DNA's capacity to, like, fix itself. I'm running okay. off very little sleep. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I should ask my brother about that. Um, I mean, the thing is, technically, Trump isn't wrong. Like, if you do inject... Uh, if you do end up injecting bleach or any kind of disinfectant into your bloodstream... It does a pretty good job of killing the virus, but it does have the unfortunate downside of also killing you. Mm, yeah. like, like a good friend of mine is a doctor and she's basically, basically been talking through like most of this whole Corona COVID-19 thing with her. And like when I, when I mentioned the hydrochloronique thing to her, she said, killing the virus isn't hard. The hard part okay. is like killing it in the Petri dish is not too difficult. Like, the gun or napalm or whatever but kind of the issue is killing the virus while not killing the person side of that's a bit more of a challenge that makes sense i my my grandfather bless him he is always talking about how like it's good to drink hard liquor when you're sick because it's like it'll kill the virus um There's Ryan in the background. Help to flex oh, for us. We're podcasting. Yo, what's up, dude? Good to see you. Hey, Ken. Uh, <laughs> Ryan will come on one day. Hey, Look, I just butchered a chicken. Okay, don't put that on my face. <laughs> you didn't butcher a chicken. You don't have the uh, the balls. I did that once. Really? How butchered was it? a chicken. I'm going to cook this right now. He's going to cook. Okay. Wow. Okay. okay. We're trying to do a super serious podcast here, Ryan. Um, oh. One of the downsides of growing up in Lebanon during the summer is that well, you, were talk- you were mentioning your grandfather. One day I told my grandfather, hey, uh, can we have some grilled chicken? And he was like, sure. And he took me to the, I didn't personally kill it, but I got to witness firsthand a chicken being killed and plucked, which kind of put me off chicken for a while. Oh yeah, I can totally pick my mom. Like I keep hearing stories like that. My mom was telling me how like one of her uncles from Zahri was like butchering a, a sheep in front of them and then like kill the sheep and butcher it out or something 
and he used to hunt birds and stuff that um i think that's enough to turn anyone vegetarian personally when i look at like raw meat or think of it as like dead flesh i'm always kind of like why i can't read but that's exactly the idea like and yeah this is something i've actually gone into a lot of arguments with people in the west about including on one of my older accounts mr richard dawkins I don't even remember that. Oh, you argued with Richard Dawkins. Yeah, it was. That's he, hilarious. It was during Eid, and as is customary for Eid, yeah, you know, or or whatever. Yeah. He was con- he was condemning the practice as barbaric. Like, look at the way they sacrifice, and I strongly disagree with that because i'm sure there's going to be someone picking this apart but like the method of killing the sheep isn't that particularly more barbaric than the western way and at least sheep are actually grown in open wide fields not factory farm and like the factory farming industry is just barbaric horrifying and i think like the most significant point i wanted to try and get across is this weird disassociation in the West between like chicken the food and chicken the animal, where it's so commoditized and dehumanized that you don't even associate meat with any animal. Like watching an animal getting killed when I was younger is traumatic, but I and like I didn't I do eat a lot of meat, but I feel bad about it. Yeah, same. It gives me a bit more reverence for the idea that something gave its life so I can consume it. Whereas I'm pretty sure a significant amount of people here think that chicken nuggets comes out of the ground or something. <laughs> like potatoes or something. Yeah. I mainly synthesized in the McDonald's labs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I think about that a lot, actually, like the way that like we're kind of disconnected from from the animal itself and that kind of came up and there was a debate in Canada um, because the indigenous people in the north do seal hunting so buying groceries in the north is really difficult they're marked up to extremely high prices so it's more sustainable for them to hunt seal apparently they use the entire seal like they use it to make uh, right items of clothing and like they just like really like honor so to speak the seal and well like i don't know <laughs> in order to like use the yeah yeah and and so like the point was like okay well you have these organizations and they're high horse like PETA, but these like this is not yeah. the same PETA, i wonder about them sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> they have these borderline like pornographic uh campaigns all the time do they yeah decide if PETA is either a psyop or purely like a psyop designed to turn people against vegetarians and vegans or if PETA is just purely relying on shock value yeah i think like the shock value really um plays a role like i think but i think like that's kind of across a lot of industries, like they know that shock value is going to get people's attention. But I do like the PSYOP theory as well. But I have to say, I once was that kind of vegan. So the, I don't know. I, I should repent. Some, <laughs> to the, thing some is, the thing is, 
And this is essentially my, my entire lifestyle can boil down to I do things that are bad, but I feel bad about it. I recognize right. bad and try to make small changes. I'm like, regarding the vegan vegetarian thing, you guys are right. Like from any sensible kind of moral framework, you guys make a lot of sense. Like it's just a fact, and it's just a fact of a lot of people have that disassociation between like the, the animals they eat and animals in the wild. Like, like even recently you saw it with the whole bat soup thing. Right. Focus. And they're like, oh, look at these, look at the Chinese. They're so barbaric. They eat bat. And I mean, personally, I'm never really had bat. I don't think I thought people in the, people in the East are ostracized for eating cats and dogs, but right. Because pigs are supposedly the smartest animal of all, and have no problem while eating their bacon. Yeah. Well, I guess not everyone eats their bacon. Ramadan Kareem. Oh yeah, Ramadan Kareem. Uh, would you guys eat dog? No, absolutely not. Not. I, I probably would. Like when? No, in Rome, see like, that. That's awful. Not not here, but like if it was. You just got a dog. Like, how can you think of that? Fattening it up. <laughs> Pretty weird animals over the years. Just yeah, like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, tried kangaroo, alligator, crocodile, emu. Tried bugs once, which was probably oh my god, I can never. I I understand fully. In the future, we may have to start. Uh, yeah. kind of. I'd rather go vegan than do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would you eat? Would you eat chimpanzee? They're too close to humans. I feel is, like. Is there like a genetic danger? Isn't that oh, how probably. Someone I, ate an ape. I thought I heard that. I heard monkey brains is a delicacy. Aside from a lot, of, aside from the more like rural Lebanese things I eat, most of my palate is fairly westernized. Right. Like I got into a discussion the other day with my parents about how my mom is craving eating brain, like sheep's brain, and I wasn't too. Yeah, crazy. I tried that once, the sheep's brain, and I I couldn't. I, is it I hard just... to prepare? Like if you get it wrong, is it? dangerous or just like any other meat kind of no i think no brain is i think based off what i've read the most dangerous meat to prepare because a lot of viruses and and i could be completely talking out of my own ass because i'm just repeating stuff that i heard from my mom but i don't know i feel it would make sense like especially when red cow being a huge thing a few years back yeah so i won't go buy brain and try and cook it yeah i well i tried it and i didn't like it maybe because like like? well the thought of me eating brain like the fact that i've tried it i was like but what it's, is it? It's like soft and like, uh, yeah, it's just not good. I can't, I can't eat it. I, I tried it in like a Lebanese restaurant and it was Yeah, awesome. that's the thing. Like Lebanese, oh, it just it reminds me, I've had frog once. My uncle yeah. told me it was chicken. Oh my God. Chicken I'm, wing basically indistinguishable from legs. Yeah, I'm not adventurous in matters like these. I can't. I get like, but apparently that bat video from China wasn't even like from like a regular person at a restaurant. It was someone from like some TV show doing like extreme eating or something. So I don't even think it's a regular thing that they consume. It's just like another example of like sensationalized media, you know, like something gets taken out of 
context it makes everyone like freak out and whatever i feel like that's like what you know twitter twitter and like uh, facebook like they run on that right um i think but... that's true though like i remember when i was back living in the middle east and my friends were really into the idea of moving to america because they had just seen the jersey shore and they assumed <laughs> that all american life was like the jersey shore <laughs> and I don't know, I was always a bit, was a lot more mellow at the time, so I didn't really care. Eventually, I did come to America, and I did see the Jersey Shore. <laughs> it was an absolutely god-awful beach. Like, not because of the people, just the beach sucked. And I will say this, it actually is not too far off based off my actual friends from New Jersey. Oh, really? I haven't seen a lot of Jersey Shore. I know it was really big when I was in high school. Yeah, and- like, that's when they watched it. They were They kept watching every episode in the hope that... They might see boot, not understanding the American yeah. TV system. I just, I remember my religion teacher just using it as like every example of immorality. Like he would always refer to the Jersey Shore. And, and like, you know, like, or he'd talk about like, um, like when he was talking about like premarital sex or when he was talking about like immodesty or whatever, that would always be his like go-to reference. I, I think I've only watched it like once or twice though. I I recently watched the Always Sunny episode where they go to Jersey Shore, which was really funny. They, no, they actually captured it quite well too. Like how the beach actually looks like and feels. The Always Sunny episode is pretty. <laughs> yeah, they get a lot of things right. They, they're pretty good on that front. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that. So another, uh, recent thing that we were, um, thinking about was there's been a a Twitter podcast debacle. Um, I was recently blocked by Gwen Snyder is uncivil. That's her Twitter name after some snarky remarks. She's been writing these like essay long tweets every day about how like each podcaster is a fascist or a Nazi or whatever. Who's on her list? Um, so like all the Chapo guys, I think Red Scare, uh, True and On. Um, so it's funny because the guy from True and On like literally went to fight fascists in Syria. Um, so on there. Yeah, I don't know much about Radio Warner. This is actually a good moment of convenience because I've I don't listen to many podcasts, but I'm a big fan of the two people behind Radio Warner from back when they just they wrote articles, Mark Ames and John Dolan, aka Gary Brescher, as his hidden identity of the Warnerd. Right. Okay. Reading reading uh the war nerd columns back in like 2014, 2013 during the Syrian war was sort of how I started reading like some of the more alternative media sources. And it's actually sort of how I gravitated away from being a libertarian to a leftist. Oh, interesting. Do you want to like go into more detail on that? Um, I mean, it happened fairly gradually. I would say the most defining moment, like I was a hardcore libertarian. Yeah, so was I. (laughs) uh, Yeah, and I I feel like that's something we both share in common where we both approach the whole concept of libertarian, becoming libertarian from the similar angle of you're Arab, you live in the West, you, I'm guessing like in your case too, you saw saw George Bush invading Iraq. All Republicans became war, associated with war crimes. And then 
I think you saw Obama and his hope thing and you believed, okay, this guy's going to do things different. That's an alternative. And then turned out to be more of the same in terms of obviously not as aggressively, but fairly interventionist and drone strikey. Thus disillusioned with the whole entire political establishment in the U.S. Yeah. I met some weird dudes online on some random forum and they wouldn't shut up about Ron Paul and libertarianism. I was like, oh, I like liberty. Sounds pretty cool. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. I mean, I just, I just saw uh, one of the, like one of someone um, posted this video of Ron Paul. I think it was Sarah Abdullah. And she posted this video of Ron Paul giving his anti-war speech on like the, uh, floor and like retirement i think oh yeah okay i think that's what it was i remember watching that and i think that was probably a major low point in my life yeah yeah and like i think well i watched it again today and i was like wow like i can totally see how this like spoke to me at the time um and even still now like i definitely have more sympathy for like anti-war libertarians than i have for like liberals who are like like the centrist like clintonite kind of wing um i just like i think that these guys are far more genuine i don't like agree with a lot of how like what they think but i i definitely i think i do have more respect for them Adam, was it an anti? Was it a low point in your life because of what he said? I don't know the speech that you guys are referring to, or just because it co- coincided with a low point in your life. No, it was a low point because it was a. I was live stream watching Ron Paul giving a farewell speech on C-SPAN or whatever, and just looking back, I do have to wonder. That's what a weird way to spend your time. <laughs> watching Ron Paul stream. Yeah, like I tried telling everyone, like, watch this. It's so great and interesting. And I must have seemed like a crazy person at the time. And but yeah, it was also not a particularly great time. I was in the middle of a first quarantine. But... Okay, interesting. A first quarantine? What was uh, happening? Oh, um, it was like, uh, I got misdiagnosed with tuberculosis. Oh, wow. Shit. How was that? That sounds awful. It wasn't great. Not yeah, great. I can imagine. It turned out to be just pneumonia. Still not a fun, not a fun three months. Yeah, I can imagine. Sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I so so you're saying that the war nerd has kind of like influenced your transition from libertarian to leftist. So was that Ron Paul speech kind of like the end of your libertarianism, or how did you sort of get to where you're at? The Ron Paul thing was like pretty much as most into libertarianism as I ever got. Right. But the moment where I started seriously rethinking it was even a little bit bef- was around the same time I was, I was reading the war nerd articles on Syria. I was tweeting something at the time when I wasn't even really much of a tweeter. I had like 100 followers. Damn. And I tweeted something at, I saw something that my old philosophy teacher in Lebanon had 140 characters. And then my professor just replied with, I don't know, that seems kind of simplistic and neoliberal for me. I don't know why, some reason, that just one interaction felt like it was she was smacking me in the face. No, there is that like moment, I think. Because I did, I had, I had absolutely no idea what neoliberal was. I was right. like that, and then I Googled it, and I was like, 
huh, this seems not great. Yeah, I think there's a really big issue with, like, when you're a libertarian, people just tell you that the term neoliberal is, like, meaningless, and that it's just leftists throwing around a word to describe things they don't like. But then you actually, like, look into things like the IMF and the WTO and stuff like that, and you're like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, there is a such thing as neoliberalism, and, like, it's being exercised right now. Um I have seen though also people like now on un- like unironically trying to like claim that they are neoliberal like the donut emoji Twitter but yeah I I think that was kind of a big thing for me is realizing like the intertwining of capitalism and war um, because then that kind of shattered my libertarian anti-war stance but I still do respect them more than I respect those centrists so there's that. yeah that I'll give them credit for being more interesting than a centrist liberal something yeah. else it i think big reason is just the way like the way i was taught about leftism and communism and socialism and all that stuff is just that it's not taken very seriously it's all it's like the way it is i think culturally presented in so many places is not there aren't these two giant ideologies that are an eternal struggle with each other but it's presented as there are these two jerks who can't agree with each other and therefore if you are brilliant and smart you will either be in the middle or you will choose a pack faction on the outside because you are very smart and therefore beyond this struggle mm-hmm. it's like like just even i even remember like learning about the soviet union and all this stuff it's never presented Yeah, I I could see that being the defining ideology for the 90s and 2000s in hindsight. Yeah, well, it's kind of like that end of history, sort of. Yeah, yeah, I... It's, it's, yeah, it's saying like, okay, well, the fact that this happened like proves that we're meant to be in this kind of system uh, for the rest of our existence kind of thing. It's like a lot of it is just so stories, you know, like the way that things are, are the way things are because that's how they're supposed to be. Um, And I think that's kind of been a very like defining thing for centrists, you know, Um, but I just, I don't know. I just, yeah, they just bother me so much more than like (laughs) these other guys um especially like the ones that go to war and then preach to you about like social justice and like get like start dictating who's a nazi who's not a nazi blah 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 we discussed Uh, who shall not be named yeah who who is the one that shall not be named i mean i mean i guess you can't name him okay describe I'm totally out of the loop. What? Carla Clymer. She's like easily one of the most irritating people you could ever encounter on Twitter. I don't even know who that is. Oh, oh, yeah. No, I do know who that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The the woke, the woke-het. Yeah. No, Ken, you know who she is. Who? Say the name again. The audio Clymer. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah, Charlotte Clymer, she's like um she's she kinda like checks all the identity boxes. Not all actually, she's white. Oh, white. But, but she's like trans, LGBT and like she was in the army 
And so she's always like, yeah, Mr. Trump, well, you're a draft dodger and I'm not. And like basically anyone. Okay, here's my rule is that most people who reply to Donald Trump on Twitter unironically usually suck. (laughs) Like the people that are like, excuse me, sir, you are dishonorable and I am moral. Like that's kind of, that's kind of. Those are the most boring, crazy people on. Yeah, but they're like deranged sometimes. Like. So, like, these are the people who are, like, you know, like, hashtag believe women and, like, Bernie's a sexist. Uh, all these guys I don't like are sexist. All these Chapo guys are fascists, whatever. And then you find out, like, that Biden has credible rape accusations against him and suddenly it's, like, you know, they change their tune. Suddenly it's not believe women anymore. Like, they're just very transparently opportunistic. But it's, like, it's in such a crude way because it's not even like they try to hide it at all but they still don't admit that they are opportunists like they're bad at concealing it but then they'll be like how dare you say that to me i'm a trans woman i'm like whatever i'm in i'm in the army like whatever all this other stuff is um i a lot of people used to like screenshot her and put her on my tl but i actually no i i would much rather quote tweet someone i there's, unless I have like a really funny picture to put next to another picture, I'm a grit or unless, uh, unless this person is like very low follower count and should not be abused. Yeah. Like if, if someone big and it's a public figure, then I believe we should go nuts and just unload on those wackos. Well, because they're, they're very used to not being challenged, I think. Like they're, uh, they're very used to like being in these like positions where people go like, yes, queen, and not used to people being like, that doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about? And so when you have like leftists that do that, then they they can't do the same thing that they do with the right, right? Like, so with the right, they can just dismiss them. I guess now they're starting to do the same thing with the left that they do with the right. So with the with the right, they used to just like dismiss them and be like, um, well, you're fascist, you support Donald Trump, you're like, whatever, like you're a white man and whatever. But then when they get criticisms from the left and then like from diverse groups of leftists, then they have to suddenly be like, you're harassing me. Like anytime you get any criticism from any leftist, it's suddenly harassment, even if they have like thousands less followers than you do. That's kind of what happened to me. And like, I, I, I quote tweeted like Sadie Doyle and someone was like, how dare you send your followers to harass her? I, I think I remember that. I think it was like, yeah. right before I got murked again. Yeah. And, and Sadie is an interesting character, but I guess this is probably a talk for a time off the podcast, but like in the past, there is, there is lore there. There's she, lore? There is lore. Oh, like I've, I've, I've been on Twitter for so long and I've been banned on off of it for so long that I'm aware of like a lot of things that people forgot. And right. one of them was she used to be apparently friends with this creepy guy on Twitter. I can't for the life of me remember what his at was or whatever, but apparently he was abusive to her and used to always crash on her couch and mooch off her. And she, there was even accusations of sexual harassment and he was later outed for that in the left. So like apparently a lot of Sadie's dislike and irritation with the left could be stemmed to this one creepy weird guy back in the day. Right. But uh, then they have Biden. 
Those seem to be heating up. Like, wasn't there like a giant scoop today by The Intercept about yeah. Lady's mom uh, calling Larry King live? Yeah, I actually haven't read it. I'm like very tired of Biden um, and the discourse around him. I think he's genuinely the worst person that could have been offered up by the DNC. Oh my gosh. I honestly have no sympathy for the dnc they're gonna like get the floor wiped with them next election and like it's gonna be their fault and they're gonna pretend to be like oh no it's because everyone's a fascist and it's just like because they have not done the work to move people in their direction so that's kind of sometimes i seriously wonder if they want to win like yeah i know money going on in the background or something there's definitely an industry to like being anti-trump you know like if trump's the president you get like all these guys being like selling kofifi mugs or whatever and like (laughs) being like not my president or like shirts that say resist or nevertheless she persisted or whatever else uh goes around this kind of industry uh, but would, would anybody here seriously entertain the idea that the DNC is just like, you know, it's just better if we lose this one? It, it, it almost seems like they are trying to lose. Yeah. Like, I hate to say Adam, what are your it. thoughts? I, th- I mean, I do agree that there is basically an industry of, like, Trump. The, I mean, you, you, thought, you thought a lot more in the beginning. It was ridiculously blatant with the... I think it's it's it feels like 500 years ago now, but like, do you guys remember the safety pin? Oh yeah. No. Yeah, that was like one of the most blatant example of someone clearly being like. There was a thing for a while, like way back when Trump first got elected and sworn in, where people start wearing safety pins to indicate themselves as good allies. There's someone really like a solid gold or silver version of it that like cost hundreds of dollars for the the high-end ally (laughs) that's like the dnc in a nutshell (laughs) so so yeah there's like i do believe like there is an industry or a lot of hucksters out there and grifters who are profiting out of being the opposition or whatever but I don't think the DNC necessarily wants to lose this. However, I will say definitively that the Democrats would rather lose with Biden than win with Bernie. Yeah, I agree with that. I think any like non-establishment candidate, they would not want to like come in and like shake things up. They don't want they want things to stay how it's been since like the Bill Clinton era. Like they just want that kind of like center right, pro-war, uh, pro-corporate bailouts, like pro-Wall Street kind of candidates. So anyone that's gonna like critique that in any meaningful respect uh, is not going to, is not gonna fly with them. Now they're very into this like neo-lib respectability politics. But it's just, it's so absurd to me because you have these people, like Bill Clinton, for instance, is like one of the biggest examples. Like like both the Clintons, it's like, I mean, I feel like I've ranted about the Clintons like for like 50% of my time on a podcast. But like, (laughs) I think it's just the most like blatant example 
of their kind of garbage because it's just like you have these people who everybody knows it's like it's an open secret of all the terrible things that they have done whether it's been through war or through like sexual violence and stuff like that like everybody knows there's like jokes about bill clinton being a sexual predator yet like the democrats still long for that kind of presidency for that kind of style um you still have these like still with her kinds of people um who like essentially pay lip service to social justice causes without like meaningfully wanting to do anything to like benefit people who are in actually precarious or marginalized positions so yeah that's kind of my i mean I will give them some credits when it comes to Bill. Like, it used to be the, the worship and deification of him was pretty significant up until a few years ago, like until the whole Me Too thing happened, where yeah. there were a lot of jokes about Bill Clinton, and you saw this on like a lot of terrible sitcoms, like Family Guy or whatever, where the joke isn't that Bill Clinton is a sexual predator, the joke is that Bill Clinton is a player like he's a the dude who managed to hook up with a lot of women because he's awesome and we should all admire him or whatever it was never and the butt of the joke was often monica Lewinsky. or but to be fair that wasn't just exclusive to bill clinton it was like a society-wide thing you saw the same thing with harvey weinstein where he was basically like it was an open secret everyone knew and in his case they knew it was way worse and everyone pretty much just ignored it because nobody really wanted to confront the ramifications of how bad the things he were doing were. And I will say this, like one positive thing to come out of Me Too is that they realized that Bill Clinton is bad for the brand. So they've shoved him back in the locker, positioned as a case of, well, you can't hold his, I can't hold his wife, a woman, responsible for what her husband does like that's sexist or whatever but like that's the new framing they'd rather not talk about bill clinton which i see as one positive absurd i think though like i don't think it's any better to just be like move on to his wife if i was like married to someone and it turned out that he was sexually violent against other women i would be like see ya (laughs) i wouldn't just be like defend like because she defends him she like intimidated the people who came forward i just mean like some of the messaging around him has they 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 figured out how to try and pivot yeah there's like there's one tweet i keep thinking of i can't remember who said it it was either matt chrisman or felix biederman that was like at the height of the clinton cult and it was basically imagine being inspired by hillary clinton the least inspirational, charismatic person to ever live. Yeah. I feel it's true. Like, for as, like, even if I agreed with her fundamentally on every single political position, I would still not like her. She's just an unpleasant person. <laughs> You'd be like, yeah, Hillary's a bitch. No, I'm gonna get canceled for saying that. Um, there is like, <laughs> I'm gonna get a Gwen Snyder thread just devoted to me saying that. She, I also remember, wasn't she the person who had that like that 200 plus tweet thread a while back, also about Chapo because 
Yeah, no, she and makes we, a new one every day. <laughs> it's important to keep busy, especially during the quarantine. Well, that's why she blocked me. I was like, do you need something to do? Like, if you want, I can send you a workout routine. <laughs> Adam, for the uninitiated, uh, what is the lore? Why does your accounts keep getting deleted from Twitter? Um, way back on, like, one of my first biggest accounts, I told two people. Uh, I can't remember. I, I'm not sure which one it was. It was either telling the horse whisperer guy oh god he should we should take a trip to the glue factory or it was telling the saudi foreign minister to go walk into a meat grinder it was one of those two things damn i can't fault you for either like those these are both I mean, varying degrees, but one of them is the most insufferable person on the entire website, and the other person had just turned a journalist into meatloaf. So I feel like both are pretty justified things. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, since then, every I think I'm pretty sure every single suspension has just been uh, because I got suspended the first time, which is a little bit irritating. Yeah. And because like you and Tarek kept getting suspended, but I've... I don't know how the hell he he managed to beat it now seemingly yeah. long term. I gotta maybe I should text him or something. Hell, dude, magic! I would love to have him on the pod. But yeah, the it's it's interesting. Like it's so funny the kind of reverence that like people give to Saudi on like especially on Twitter, but like just in or like whether it's on twitter or like in the nyt you know like it's like they treated like these they're so both saudi and israel actually like it's like if you talk shit to them online it's like how dare you despite the fact that they're both these like i don't know what to say without becoming like under fire but like they both do pretty horrible things and like it's kind of like you know it's always like oh you're criticism of me is worse than like what I'm doing to like actual people I think they have a ton of bots though too so I don't know oh yeah there's a picture there's a pic I always get a lot of good mileage it's the uh it's the ones of all the Saudi guys on the computer yeah it's like it's supposed to be their anti-terrorism center which just like (laughs) just even even the term sounds hilarious Saudi anti-terrorism center yeah (laughs) Just like imagining yeah, the Spider-Man two guys pointing each other thing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really funny. I remember when they like threatened Canada to like get another like nine eleven on Twitter. Like they, <laughs> they did that on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, they posted a picture and it was like there's an old Arabic saying not to put your nose where it doesn't belong, and there's like a plane crashing into like a tower in Toronto or something. Holy shit. <laughs> I think they deleted it, obviously. It, they did, but like it was pretty much the funniest thing I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. Yeah, Saudi's trying to like talk tough. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, I don't know. Do you want to discuss about your time in the Gulf? <laughs> I mean, there's a, yeah, there's a, you know, like whenever conservatives talk about how if socialism is instituted, everyone would lazy, not work, unproductive, and just mooch off society while and like create like this th- that very ugly completely ungrounded reality stereotype yeah yeah that, that is basically most of the gulf states at a certain point in time in the gulf states someone poked a stick in the ground and goo came out and as such all of them have a ridiculously 
inflated opinion of themselves. They're the laziest, most unproductive, pe- like, I don't even know how to like, properly describe it. It's just basically the most, like, the, they're xenophobic and racist as hell. They do zero work and entirely rely on either expats from Southeast Asia or other Arab countries in either slave labor or uh, just criminally underpaid positions. And their go-to phrase whenever anyone tells them anything is Sefirich, which means I will deport you. What? Was this at school or something? Or where, where did you... Yeah. yeah, it was like a couple of days before, like it was a couple of years before that happened. So I was trying, like some guy stole my Pokemon cards and as school kids do, I wanted to fight him. And or just general golfers aren't particularly into violence unless they have overwhelming odds. <laughs> so like typically the way for them go is they wait until school is over and then they bring like 10 people somehow out of the ground and I was not expecting any of this. Like where the fuck, like where the fuck did he get ten people from on such short notice? He doesn't even have a cell phone. Yeah. Nope. I was ten. Who had a cell phone? <laughs> like some of his family magically appeared to kick my ass, and my friends were trying to like the Egyptians were trying to help me figure this out. And at a certain point, he shouted at me, "Psa footage," and I was like, "Shoo, what?" <laughs> yeah. Like, I had no idea what the hell he was talking about. And then eventually a friend of mine brokered a peace treaty or something. Wow. I mean, they're very, they can, be, they can be violent. There was a time a couple of years after where I got stabbed, but that's a different story. Ooh, what? But in many scenarios, they would rather avoid violence, or at least some of them would. Anyways, mm-hmm. I'm going off track. So I went to my mom. I told her, what does Safarich mean? She's, she sat me down and like explained the concept of deportation. And at the time, I still delusionally believed that that country where I lived and was born in and spent my entire life in was my home. That was a gross miscalculation. Like I've heard stories of people who generations of their family live in those Gulf countries, those Gulf countries. And then the moment they retire, they get put on a plane and sent back to a country they've never spent a single day in. So were they like, I've, so I've heard Gulf people talk about Lebanese people a lot and it's always very unfriendly. Um, for women, they'd say like, oh, they're whores. And uh, the men, they say the men are gay. But do you think the bullying was more due to like you being Lebanese or you being like a religious minority? both yes just both i guess yeah like the first so what's one thing my arabic accent is kind of weird because i used to speak perfectly fluent levantine arabic when i was younger but as you said pretty much uh, i don't know if you have anyone's ever heard the way like (laughs) it's a very aggressive it's very different from Lebanese, for sure. Levantine, by comparison, Lebanese is very, is, is a bit more, I mean, you could say it's a bit more feminine. That is the stereotype <laughs> people say. Basically, I was bullied out of that accent as time went on, which on upside did wonders for my English. Later, when I, uh, when I figured it went, I figured out I was Shia because my parents very sensibly made sure to never mention that. Mm-hmm. They would 
also make fun of me for praying in a slightly different way and technically being a kafir or infidel as they're commonly known. So I would not recommend it for your next summer vacation. There's a joke that like, it's like the white privilege of the Middle East is like Sunni, <laughs> being Sunni. But then I kind of have had some insight into like the oppression of religious minorities because half my family are Christian. So it's kind of like, you know, I, I kind of get it. But at the same time, it's like really horrifying to me, especially like, I mean, you see a lot of it on Twitter. Before I was on Twitter, I didn't really see much of it. So your school, was your school explicitly religious? No, it was, uh, it was an English school. Okay, okay. But uh, it is mandatory in the unnamed Gulf country that I lived in that I already said once, so I don't know why I'm bothering with this. But like, basically, if you're Muslim, doesn't matter what sect, you are mandated to take government religious Sunni classes, which all belong to the same Wahhabist, very devout Saudi-style Islam. Mm -hmm. And early on, I was fairly enthusiastic. I was a bit of a nerd, so I wanted to do well in all my classes. And this extended to religious classes. And then as time went, and then I discovered I was Shia, which caused a bit of a schism. And then as time went on, I started noticing that a lot of stuff I'm learning doesn't seem quite right. Right. There was one, like my mom doesn't wear a hijab. So there was one time where some guy told me that my mom is going to hell, which was always fun to hear. And just as time went on, like we took weirder and weirder classes, nothing overtly evil, but the strong implication that Jews and Christians are wrong and also kind of infidels and just a very Wahhabist, hardcore Sunni version of Islam. Right. Then around the time we got to the classes on the number of times you can divorce and remarry your same wife or, and then another class on the proper way to beat her. The The technique is back of the hand, like as if you're like a pimp. Oh my God. That is the official way. Around the time we got there, I was like, this doesn't seem quite right. Yeah, no kidding. So at that point, I kind of walked out and did my own thing. Damn, dude. See, like when I think of like when I stopped being religious, it was like I read a story where like God was rude to Moses and I was like, this sucks. (laughs) Like, It was nothing. I mean, the Bible, don't get me wrong. The Bible has very abusive things in it as well. Well, Old Testament God did not fuck around. He was I think New Testament God didn't either though. I think it was like a misconception that they're very distinct. But I do think there were times where Jesus was like a little more like ready to fight. Like when he talks about bringing, he's like, I don't come in peace, I come with a sword. Uh, when he told off the people at the church and he like trashed it and stuff like that. Oh, the money lenders. Yeah, like just stuff like that. I, I do think, I think like the, all these religions, like they have kind of like a common ground of God being like punitive. And I can see the social function that that served at the time that they were conceived. It's like a means of like group discipline. I don't. I'm not a fan of it, but some people, like, I can see how, like, there are other interpretations that are, like, work for some people. Who am I to judge? I will judge the wife beater guys, though. That's pretty shitty. Yeah, the wife 
the thing was, wasn't, but like you actually touched on something really interesting, which I find more intriguing than current religion, which is people, do, people don't think as much about the amount of focus testing that goes on in religion in the early stages. Yeah, that's true. Like before they have the rule, they come up with their framework and their rules. I was reading that like early Abrahamic religions after the Phoenicians are, are peeps. <laughs> uh, they took like, they worshiped some of the Phoenician gods. They didn't start being monotheists until like later on. And so like, it, it, like this transition from polytheism to monotheism and like Judaism even was not clear cut and same with like, but that's exactly it. So like the Jewish God is probably the baddest motherfucker ever. Yahweh, like he initially was like, I probably need to do a bit more research on this. Cause like something I'm still learning about, but like originally Judaism wasn't monotheistic. It was polytheistic and Yahweh or the God we know, like the Supreme Entity as we know him, he was just one of the gods of the tribes of Israel. And it just so happened that his specific function was that he was the god of war Mm -hmm. and had a bit of a higher platform, especially in those genocidal days. And as time went on, some of the other gods that were worshipped slipped from being worshipped as much in, and they became like not worth worshipping as much as Yahweh. He was elevated as above them. And then as more time went on, the other gods were just wiped from the canon and it was just the one singular paternalistic, all-powerful god that we dare not speak his name, Yahweh. Right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's like a religious Hobbesianism. Well, that Ken, there's a book that I recently read called The Evolution of God by Robert Wright. And like, he talks exactly about this stuff. It's really interesting. But yeah, it's it's funny because it's like, I wonder if they moved to monotheism because like logistically that makes more sense in some respects. Like, it's like, maybe I just, I'm, I was thinking of like Hobbes where he talks about, you know, like if you just have like one leader, um, then like it's there's less likely to be like conflict and like interpretations of what you should be doing and like how we should be behaving and whatever um but now i just realized no because it's not like you'd still need multiple people to like say what god meant so maybe i'm just which is inherent to judaism to begin with Mm -hmm. Uh, but but the thing is i actually do so many people don't know this or have heard of this in islam allah God originally had three daughters. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, like it's one of those things that's kind of buried, but it's actually not that hard to find once you know what you're talking about. Uh, do you remember uh, old friend of the podcast, Salman Rushdie, and the fatwa <laughs> that was issued against them? Yeah, of course. Good what, friend of the pod. Yeah, like you like what? You remember what the name of his book that? Yeah, the Satanic Verses. Yeah, so like the Satanic Verses isn't just the name of an international bestseller that's not very popular in Iran, but it's, it refers to a Islamic thing where I think the way Islam formed about was sort of like a strain of a bunch of stuff that's going on in Mecca at the time under the umbrella of monotheism. But originally, Allah and his three daughters were one of the gods that were worshipped in Mecca at the time. 
And essentially, like in the early days, there, there was a passage in the Quran where Mo said that Allah has three daughters. And I can't remember what the hell their names are, but that's what he supposedly said. And then I'm guessing what happened was that the idea of a singular, infallible, monotheistic God, and specifically a patriarchal one, maybe projected more strength for his vision of what the religion should look like. So then he walked back the whole three daughters thing, and that's what they wrote off as the satanic verses. Oh, yeah. Okay, I've kind of, like, heard about that, but I didn't hear about the daughters thing. But I did hear that there was, like, the sat- Like, I heard that that was kind of... There was a background story to the satanic verses. I... I remember the controversy, and I remember like Seinfeld bringing Salman Rushdie in as well. It was like very big growing up. Is he still like under fatwa or what? Um, I think everyone sort of just lost interest. Oh and my god, he should come also, on the pod. It's also a very good strategy. I recommend to many people online never tweet through it. If anything goes wrong, it applies to all situations in life. Do not tweet through it. Like through a fatwa. <laughs> No, uh, yeah. Well, fuck this. Official advice. The most optimal strategy to ensure your survival is go offline or avoid the issue of controversy and then do literally anything else with your time. And then after everyone's forgotten and moved on, which nowadays happens quite often, you go back on and pretend like nothing happened. That's what Neera Tandon did when, and everyone's already forgotten this, when... That story came out during the, the Bloomberg campaign, paid off her and her dumbass organization to leave out Stop and Frisk in one of their reports. Oh and my God. As soon as that article came out, she went offline for two weeks, even though it was the peak of like Bloomberg mania. And then as soon as the heat died down, she went back on and nobody acknowledged it whatsoever, except for me harassing her and her mentions. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the optimal strategy. If you ever do something or say something stupid. Yeah, that's so funny. That's like, yeah, I, Nira Tandon's another one of those like centrist Twitter accounts that just drives me insane. But yeah, they, um, like I, there's always like a joke about like when people get like called out for being terrible on Twitter and then they like make their profile picture black just like all black and then they're just like I'm sorry for what I've done they like post something from like the notes app and then like then they go I I recently got Twitter cancelled for saying Steven Pinker is hot and (laughs) I think you were you missed that (laughs) you deserve it in that case because you just look fucking weird (laughs) I I genuinely think he's hot like just aesthetically I could see it but no Nassim Taleb's like a dad. Like he's like a Yeah, but he goes to the gym. I know, but he's too he's too much of like a Lebanese dad that like vents about his conspiracy theories like at a dinner kind of thing. Whereas like Steven Pinker, like he's I don't know, like I like I love his hair, his eyes, they're really <laughs> It wasn't he found on, didn't they have like a picture of him with- With uh, Epstein, yeah, I know. People replied to my post with that. And I was like, guys, I'm just saying like aesthetically. And like, like I don't endorse him. I read his book. It's really bad. But like, you know, like, sorry, hold on. I have a, sorry, what was I saying? What were we talking about? Stephen Pinker. Oh, Stephen Pinker. Yeah. So I was like, do I need to like fire up the notes app and like write an apology for what I've said? No, that's fine. Sexual harassment. 
<laughs> oh my god i just made a statement of like no i'm like do i need to apologize to like my leftist followers for like praising steven pinker in that respect both done this with jordan peterson and it's been fine so <laughs> is he alive or are you like in that coma in i feel like in that coma in russia like whatever happened to him yeah i don't know i that's a good question pretty sure he's alive yeah and apparently his daughter is married or dating this guy this internet huckster who's basically runs a prostitution ring in russia or something whoa she's always been kind of strange i'm like i'm I'm kind of wondering if she's like doing something to her dad no i think she sexually just like just (laughs) took him out of the picture yeah yeah okay. what so you guys both agree she took him out of the picture this is crazy to me i think yeah. she's like purposefully like keeping him like sedated and stuff like that so she can take over like the the meat empire i'm pretty sure he was on a podcast recently oh okay well then never mind maybe it was her but they she put on like a kermit voice generator that's probably what it was yeah and she's like masterfully like she, maybe she's been the mastermind this whole time. <laughs> I wonder what Freud would say. Yeah. Uh. But, uh, yeah, I, I've always, I think that she, she, it might be that kind of situation where she's, like, running the show from behind the scenes. Like, uh, Jeff Bezos' wife. Wait, is that a thing? Wasn't she the one that was like running shit, or was that someone else? Well, now he—I think he's been divorced a couple times since then. Oh, okay. Now he had like a dick pic of him or something. Oh God. But one story about Jeff Bezos, and I think it's—I think it's pretty funny. Nobody talks about this on his Twitter account. He only follows one person, and it's his ex-wife. Oh, he's a wife guy. Yeah, but she left him. Major, like, my wife left me energy. This is sad. Okay, on that sad note, thank you for (laughs) coming on, Adam. I have a lot to research now about Judaism and and Islam. Yeah, thank you for sharing your stories. And we appreciated you coming on. Uh, Thanks to our listeners. We will see you next week. Bye.